Pastor Xavier Reese and a humble response to the grace of God. The person that is used by God must forever guard himself against the way we live our lives. We have to be an example. The way we handle our success in God's work, giving Him the glory. Am I consistent going forward? Perspective. It's a simple principle throughout the scriptures. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Ask any stock trader. Just because a company succeeds doesn't mean that their success will continue. This is true not only of businesses. It is also true of churches, families, and individuals. Gideon was a man of mediocrity. He battled fear, discouragement, and disbelief. Yet God used him to conquer the Midianites and save Israel. If the story ended there, Gideon would forever be remembered as a man of greatness. Unfortunately, we are about to learn an important simple truth. Greatness does not guarantee permanence. Here's Pastor Xavier at the beginning of yet another study from our series in the book of Judges. Let's listen. Judges chapter 8, verse 22 down to 35 and the message entitled, Gideon, the Entitled Vessel. Gideon has been commissioned by God to defeat the Midianites with absolute certainty when he was a weak vessel in chapter 6. Gideon was communicated by God the conditions for the victory, and the victory came as a broken vessel in chapter 7 and 8. Now we see Gideon as an entitled vessel. Rather than continuing to go upward, he's gone downward. And so it'll be challenging to look at this record and to see why God allowed it to be recorded. Simply one reason, for your benefit and mine. He uses his heroes to show that they were men of flesh like anybody else. And so God records the grievous conduct of the people of God after God delivered them from the Midianites right here. Let me read verse 22 to 35. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandsons, and also for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had uh, golden earrings because uh, they were Ishmaelites. And so they answered, We will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into the earrings from the plunder. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple rolls which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains from, that were around their camels' necks. And then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in the city of Ophrah. And all of Israel played the harlot with it. There it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their hand no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house, Gideon, had 70 sons 
whom were his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubines, who was uh, in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Oprah of the Abyssalites. And so it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal-berith their god. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all the enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. And so God records the grievous conduct of the people of God after God delivered them from the Midianites. But it's described by three things. First, the foolishness of Gideon, verse 22 through 28. Secondly, we have the slothfulness of Gideon in 29 to 32. And thirdly, the unfaithfulness of Israel to Gideon in 33 through 35. The foolishness of Gideon comes first. What, what a tragic moment when this happens in the life of men of God, but it does happen often. The majority of the kings of the Old Testament all fell in their old age. Study the scriptures. The people requested for Gideon to be their king in 22. The people were so impressed with Gideon. He was a hero. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. Man, that is so enticing. That is so trying. Rule over us? The people were so impressed with Gideon that they were willing to extend this reign, this commitment, to the third generation. You, your sons, your grandsons. Whoa. They said this knowing God had called, commissioned, and clothed him with the Holy Spirit to enable him for the victory. That's the backdrop. They're saying this knowing they were there for the victory. And this is the whole thing. You got to look at what they're saying and what they're doing in the context. They said this knowing God reduced the army of Israel from 32,000 to 10,000, then even to 300,000. They said this knowing God had done it with pitchers, lanterns, and trumpets, and God turned the enemy on himself. They had all the accurate information. Yet these people were giving Gideon the honor and the credit for the victory over the Midianites. Listen to the words. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Say what? Who delivered you? We get so impressed with men, ladies and gentlemen, that we act stupid. <laughs> As if a man is anything but a man, flesh and all, private or public, the best we could do is sin unless we walk with God. The very reason God reduced the army from 32,000 to 300 was that they wouldn't come to this place. In fact, in 7.2, God said, and the Lord Yahweh said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into the hand. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God knew the heart of man, even Gideon's. 
The judge Gideon denied the request of the people to be their king. That is honorable. Look at 23. He rejected it for himself and his descendants. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. Commendable. Notice he reminded them that the honor belonged to God. Even greater commendation here. The Lord Yahweh shall rule over you. The covenant God, all capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. Israel was to be ruled by a theocracy. God ruled. Then notice the request of Gideon was that the people express their indebtedness to him. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just turned down being king, but Gideon asked for his petition here for the spoils of war. Gideon was able to deny, notice, the honor of being their king, but he was not able to resist the self-indulgence like a king. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. Each individual, all the spoils of war they took, the earrings. He passed the test of adversity. I won't be king. But he failed the test of prosperity. We can be so strong in one area, and we eat it like anything in the next one. Gideon requested the earrings knowing the wealth of the Midianites, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They were nomadic trading merchant tribes, as you know, from the Arabian desert. They were descendants of Hagar and the Midianites from Keturah in Genesis 25, verse 4, 2, and 12. It's interesting that Abraham, he would not take a shoe lash from the king of Sodom and Gomorrah lest he would say, I have prospered or made Abraham rich in Genesis 14, 23. It's interesting that David, he was upset because some of the people that went to battle with him didn't want to share the spoil with those who stayed back by the stuff, guarding it. He says, no, this will be a precedence in all of the kingdom. The one who goes to battle, the one who stays guarding the stuff, they all share equally in 1 Samuel 30, verse 24 through 25. Commendable. Now notice Gideon was granted his request from the people in 25 and 26. The giving was with great joy, by the way. They answered, we will gladly give them. They feel indebted. The giving was done by all. Nobody objected here. They spread their garments. Each man threw into the earrings from his plunder. And notice the giving was a great amount of gold. The weight of the golden earrings he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, about 40 to 70 pounds depending on the gold and the shekel. But uh, one commentator put it, it would be enough for about 150 years for the wages of those days. Now listen, I don't want to be your king, but I want to live like a king. Ooh. That's our flesh. This is Gideon, the man of faith. I can be a man of faith at one time and a man of foolishness another time. The giving includes the personal spoils of the king. Notice, besides the crescent ornaments, the pendants, the purple robes that were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. He wants the wealth of a king. He wants the spoils of a king because kings conquer over kings. 
You see? Subtle. That's our flesh. Then comes the recklessness of Gideon. It was to plant the seeds of idolatry again. 27 through 28. Look at 27. Gideon set up an altar in his city. What? He made a model of the ephod of the priests. Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in the city of Ophrah. His sincere intent did not matter. It would corrupt the people as we're going to see. The tabernacle was already set up in Shiloh. What are you doing? He and all the people bowed down to the ephod, it says in 27. All those who played the harlot with, with it there, it became a snare to Gideon and his household. The ephod pertained to the priests, as you know. The breast piece of judgment was attached to it, or the Urim and the Thummim, which was believed to be maybe a black or a white stone by which the priest would know the mind of God. Exodus 28, Exodus 39, a couple of passages, there's others. Gideon had no right to make an idol image. He had destroyed the altar of Baal, remember, and set up the altar of Yahweh and Oprah back in chapter 7, 24 through 30, where God gave him his first orders to start at home. His father had an idol, an altar there, and he destroyed it down, and God turned the hearts of his father and others. What is he doing? Gideon went from a servant to a celebrity. That's the problem. He had now left the people of Israel worse than at the beginning. Having removed the altar of Baal and the chastening hand of God, they were led back into idolatry by the very man who had been used to deliver them. How I have seen this, and you see it through church history, that the very man that God uses to do a great work, he strikes the death blow to it before the Lord takes him home because of compromise, entitlement, or lack of courage. Gideon's seas of idolatry were germinating, listen, for 40 years. Look at 28. After God delivered them, thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their head no more. Not having to be concerned about the enemy from without, outside the Midianites. Comfort, safety, not recognizing the greater enemy from within. You ready? Themselves. You know who your greatest enemy is? You. My greatest enemy is me. No one else. After God gave them peace, notice, the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. The 40 years of quiet rest was a slow, progressive polluting of themselves. 40 is the number of judgment throughout the scriptures. 40 days of rain. The flood. Jesus went to the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. Judgment. While all this is going on, we're going to see that Gideon's going to be living a life of ease. The person who is called to be used of God must always guard himself against the praise of people. There will be people that will be saved out of their own morality and ethics. They're good people from the perspective of man, but they're still sinners. And when they realize the grace of God, they'll be so indebted to you to present the gospel. There will be others that will be living a life according to the culture of the world, depraved, and they'll jump in head first. 
And they will be so grateful when you preach the gospel to them. Then there will be others that will be so steeped in the perversity of the world, having life and everything destroyed, that when they come to Christ, they will be so indebted to you. Whether it's one or all of them, you have to be careful as they look to you so much that really you become an obstacle for God. Or that you believe that you somehow are a little better than them and that you really do deserve some of those praises. It's in our flesh. It's in our DNA. You know, it's like the guy that says, you know, I'm tired about talking about myself. What do you think about me? (laughs) Sincere appreciation, but we have to be careful. Peter put it this way in Acts 3, 11 and 12. Listen to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, with great amazement. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently on us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man to walk? Everything that God does through you and myself is just the grace of God. When we yield God gets the glory. We receive such a great benefit. We are humble and we are more in love with Jesus. The person that is used by God must forever guard himself against laying a stumbling block to the believer as God does a great work through them. We have to be careful. The way we live our lives, we have to be an example. The way... We handle our success in God's work, giving him the glory. The way they treat people throughout their lives as a servant of God. Does that change through my life? Or do I treat people the same way as when I was first saved? Do I continue? Am I consistent going forward? Or has my perspective changed as to who I am? And perhaps people do need to be more indebted to me. Perspective. The way they expose any and everything that would challenge the person of Christ, pointing them back to the scriptures. They do not worship a pastor or a movement or methodology or any success that would come forth through any work of God. So important. It's a simple principle throughout the scriptures. And yet the church misses it all the time. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But beware lest someone... Somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now, the principle is that, but the application is talking about the meats offered to idols and and the sexual prostitution and that. But the principle is there. You and I, as servants of God, we have to be careful of the high privilege we have that we don't lay stumbling blocks for others. We're to be more mature. We have the greater responsibility. The same with Gideon here. He failed this way. The foolishness of Gideon led them back to what? To bondage. Let him back to bondage. Now notice, secondly, comes the slothfulness of Gideon. 29 through 32. In 29 and 30, Gideon became an entitled person that was self-serving. Gideon was indifferent and self-absorbed despite the condition of the nation. Don't miss this. He did not continue to be a God-directed influence for the people, but he lived for self. Listen to his words. Then Jerubel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own 
house. Now, there's nothing wrong with resting or enjoying your family. The problem is the context. Gideon is a judge. He's to be directed, guided, and continue to be a judge over the affairs of the people. He became indifferent, lazy about his responsibility as all this is going on. He sets up an idol. Progressively, the people are going towards it. It's going to be a snare. It's like you sitting watching the TV program and all of a sudden your kitchen's on fire. You say, oh, it's okay. The program's real good. It's cold anyway. He's concerned only with his own pleasure. Listen to the words. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. The context is what makes this bad. Not that any of this is bad in and of itself. He conceived a good number of children, 70 sons, in the 40 years, if it went all the way to 40, and the girls are not even mentioned because the girls weren't of any value in those days. Very few women are recording the genealogies unless they have some important role. The rivalry can only be imagined as the sons of Jacob and David teach us. You imagine? Everyone wants to be the, the, the heir to the throne, right? <laughs> he had many wives enjoying the benefits of a hero. You can be ugly as sin, and if you're popular, if you're famous, you do something, you'll have chicks all over the place. Not because you're good looking. Somehow women are attracted to this personification of just greatness or, or importantness or whatever. And we're dumb enough to fall for it as men. Like an ox to the slaughter. The emotional and sexual competition between the wives had to have been intense. As we know, it was for Jacob's house as well as the house of David. How about Solomon? 700 plus 300, 1,000 women. Busy man. All in the midst of growing apostasy. That's what makes this bad, okay? Now, God recorded this the way he recorded it so that we might pick it up. He doesn't give us any positive things about him. He just gives us a picture that he just kicked back and enjoyed life. While the house is burning down, he's having a glass of water. Gideon became a slave to his flesh. In 31, Gideon was not satisfied with the many wives to meet his sexual needs. He had another woman in the city of Shechem, his concubine, and bore him a son. She was his concubine. Notice he named his son Abimelech. It's an interesting name. It means, my father is king. Also a title for the Philistine kings. Though he has rejected, I will not be king over you. He wanted the wealth of a king. He wanted the spoils from kings. And he even gives a name to his son from his concubine that he was king. You ever catch this? <laughs> How does a man who's used of God greatly, go to this end, one step at a time. Never say never. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with Gideon, the lure of laziness leading to bondage. Important simple truths he draws from Judges chapter 8. 
And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, we've had to break only partway through this study, but if your schedule permits you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Gideon, the Entitled Vessel. It's available on CD for just $4. That title once again is Gideon, the Entitled Vessel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com